Welcome to the Runners Connect, Run to the Top podcast, where it's all about learning from the best minds in the sport so you can train smarter, stay healthy, and run faster now. And now your host, Lucas Felton. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Runners Connect, Run to the Top podcast. I'm your host, Lucas Felton. Most runners and coaches would agree that there's a big difference between running a hard workout and running a race. One of those who occupies both roles is Greg Meyer, who until this last April was known as the, the last American man to win the Boston Marathon. He finally lost that dubious honor to 2004 Olympic silver medalist Meb Kifleski. Greg and many of his contemporaries in the late 1970s and early 1980s were known for competing frequently at a high level while maintaining also a high level of training. In this interview, Greg talks at length about the benefits of not just frequent racing, but true competition and the different attitude and mindset that it brings out in races. Some of the key points that our discussion consisted of included the training program that took Greg to wins at the 1982 Chicago and 1983 Boston Marathons, the idea of racing frequently and the different, more competitive attitude that stems from that, and the 2014 Boston Marathon where Greg finally stopped being known as the last American man to win Boston. This was a great talk that made me really want to just go and crush somebody the next time I raced. I hope it will for you too. As usual, any resources mentioned in this podcast can be found at runnersconnect.net slash runninginterviews slash Greg Meyer. So Greg, thanks so much for being on our show today. Can you start off by uh, telling us a bit about yourself and how you got involved in the sport of running? Boy, um... You know, so many years ago, it's hard to remember. Um, I got started pretty much distance running um, when I was in grade school, uh, getting ready for other sports. Um, you know, I, I just found that as I did the conditioning, the coaches sort of started to say, you know, when there's a when you get to high school, there's a sport for you called cross country because I could do the fitness stuff and keep going where others would get tired. So, I guess I got started then. Um, did the sort of traditional route of, you know, high school cross-country track and then was lucky enough to get a scholarship to the University of Michigan um, where I had a great coach in Ron Waters and um, then went on to uh, move to Boston and train with Bill Rogers and the Greater Boston Track Club, which couldn't have had a better group of people to train with. So I've been blessed with the people I've been around in terms of my running. Certainly, that uh, that old that group in Boston in the uh, late '70s and early '80s was certainly something to be envied. Who were yep. some of your uh, like early influences or inspirations in the sport? You know, early inspirations and, and the guys. That, uh, when I first got started in track and field, I was a pole vaulter in grade <laughs> school because I was too slow to run um, any of the shorter distances, which is all they had. Um, so. But later on, when you got going, it was obviously Jim Ryan, Marty LaCorey. Those were the two guys that I looked at. I remember watching them race on the wide world of sports against one another. Um, just all the incredible things that both of those two were able to accomplish. Um, um, I thought was wonderful for our sport, and I wish we had those types of guys again now. So... So tell us about your uh, about your training kind of throughout your career. Um, I guess if you talked to Ron Warhurst, he'd probably tell you I was at the 
a workhorse in that I could tolerate a lot of intensity. Um, the high mileage got me, sort of knocked me down a bit, but um, high school was a lot of intervals. The coach that we had was much more, uh, he wasn't a distance runner, so he read, and I, I think he must have read Saruti's stuff on interval training versus you know, Lydiard stuff. But Ron was more about strength. He always believed that if you had the basic speed, it was only about adding strength to maintain that speed. So huge believer in hills, and I still use that with all the kids that I help now uh, when we do their conditioning programs. So always hills. Um, I believed in long, hard intervals, um, you know, and which was a contrast for when I moved to Boston because Squires, when I first got there, was really doing the longer, slow intervals geared towards the marathon. Um, Ron had me going much harder on intervals. Uh, so that was an adjustment. And then, you know, basic stuff. I, we raced a lot, you know, and racing became part of the training um, as you sort of worked your way into what event you really wanted to focus in on. So, um, you know, it's it was not rocket science by any means. It was basically just do a bunch of hard work get your legs turning over, and good things would happen. And race, learn how to race. Yeah, I was going to touch on that because uh, there's a, uh, a piece of your training log on the Internet from, I want to say about June of 82 through Boston of 83 where you won. And uh, starting in 83... Years ago, and they posted it, which is funny. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, I've, I've looked at it several different times for... For different things to uh, for, for different things I would rem remember from it, but one of the ones that and stuck out no was sense at all. sorry. And many of the many of the things probably makes no sense to anybody else. Well, it makes sense to me. I don't know, but what I was going to say is one of the things that struck me about that uh, that training log is that starting in is it in '83, you did the uh, you did a, a race at midnight in New York and then raced the first eight straight weekends of that year followed by some a down week, some training weeks, and then a couple more races. So you raced in total like 10 times going into Boston Marathon, which is unthinkable to professional runners today. First of all, how'd you do that without, you know, destroying yourself? Well, it was, I mean, a lot of it, though, if you go back and look at the log, there wasn't a big drop-off in training. It wasn't like I was looking to peak at any of those. I was still holding over 100 miles a week while doing it. You know, it's it really wasn't about peaking. It was about, um, I like to race. Why would you not want to race? You know, so I think there was a mile in there. I think there was a 5K indoors, at least one or two. Exactly, yeah. So... Yeah, everything from a mile from a mile to thirty k. Yeah, yeah. Um, I remember the thirty kicks. I had walking pneumonia. Um, we're runners. We race. They don't give out trophies for training, you know. And um, it's it was always my pattern to run some indoor races, so it didn't make sense not to do that. Um, I do believe that by doing the shorter stuff. Now, I don't think most marathoners are going to run miles, 
but five and tens, they only add to your your speed that's into your legs, you know, and if you can do that when you're training, it only helps you in the marathon because now you have the sort of tempo to run fast. I think a lot of our guys train for the marathon and they get slower. They never race. Um, you know, I, I just don't know how they do that, especially guys who are moving up from the shorter distances they would so much, you know, they, they switch and lose what made them a good runner, you know, and thinking that they're going to become a marathoner without carrying that kind of leg speed over. Um, but I don't know. It's just what we did. Uh, it, it was it was fun. <laughs> you know, I, I think people now look at it as a business. It was fun to go race. You know, it's, it's what you did. So another point I was going to bring up with the uh, with all the racing is, as you were saying, you were still holding pretty high mileage. I was looking at it the other night. Actually, it was it was it, I don't know if it was a hundred, but it was at least over eighty miles a week. So a, a decent amount of of total volume. How did you adjust workouts for different race distances from you know say a mile to a to a thirty k or eighteen and a half miles or so? Usually, what you'd see is a change in the interval workouts leading into it. You'll see some shorter, faster stuff to get it tooling over. Um, the hills were always a, were usually a constant. If you look at it, and, and I don't have that training program in front of me right now, but hills were a constant. <clears throat> usually, there was a semi-long run somewhere around in there, and then the track workout is something that we would tweak. And if we were really getting ready for something, I might drop the hills and do two interval sessions, a longer and a short. Um, and a lot of strides, I do strides. But, you know, in, in terms of adjusting, and I remember leading into Boston, I only really went up high mileage for about three weeks, you know, where I was at about 130. But you'll see the pattern of what we did for training didn't change. It was just we, we increased the volume. Yeah. We still did our hill. We still did our, our track work. You know, we still did, if we did a 20-miler, the tempo, whatever it was, the pattern all stayed the same. It was just we increased the volume. And we did that for three weeks. I don't think I raced during any of those high-mileage weeks. I can't remember now, though. Well, it would certainly make sense to not, for just a, for a short period like that. Um I want to ask you something else. One thing that uh, your coach Bill Squires was uh, was known for, and is still known for, are the uh, the the fartlek and and the surges during the during the long runs. Um, can you tell us you know what, how that, that got, worked? That got started with I think he got that started with Beardsley, and then he transferred it to me, getting ready for Chicago, um, in Boston in '82 and '83. Um, it. Um, he found it, it, it did a number of things. Um, the fart licks taught you to change gears, to cover a move, to run fast in the middle of a race or a, a workout. Um, it, it really helped you learn how to concentrate. And in the marathon, I, I tell people all the time, in distance running, it's your ability to concentrate and stay engaged when things change. 
that is going to allow you to be successful. And I think the steady state running sometimes got you bored and people didn't know how to break out of a pattern uh, when a race began because all they did was run steady state. Um, yeah, and he said the other thing it does is it gets the darn workout over faster <laughs> because you're humming along pretty good, you know? So Absolutely. So did you do any kind of non-running training? I lifted some weights, light weights, um, lots of reps, nothing on my legs, but, um, you know, it, just, yeah, weights, uh, basic stuff, though, you know, nothing nothing crazy. We felt, and, and, it, and this goes back to uh, Warhurst and just my basic philosophy, his basic philosophy, which I've carried over, is... Um, if you can maintain your form in your upper body, when your legs start to go in the marathon or the longer stuff, your arms and shoulders can drive your legs. So, and I, I firmly believe that. I remember some of the sorest parts of my body after Boston <clears throat> were my shoulders because you're driving your, your legs with your arms. And especially you had a pretty, uh, it was a, if I remember right, a pretty, uh, pretty long, hard surge uh, during that race. Kind of before it really started, before it really started to get tough, around 20 miles. Benji really took off in the middle and increased. It. I mean, we were on world record pace through 20 through 20 miles, as I recall, and that that was all Benji. Um, so, you know, it it was one of those. Um, it was a sustained effort, but then when I got to up to him at, at sometime around 18 and a half, 19 miles, um, there was a, a slight surge that increased the tempo that you know carried through heartbreak. But that was it. I, I think Benji, um, between I think running his own legs off and having a little bit of a blister, wasn't going to be able to go once we got to that point. I'm sure the uh, I'm sure that it took quite a lot of arms to uh, to drive you through the rest of the hills and through the last five miles of the of the race. Um, you know what's funny is you don't remember it like that. Well, right. It, it, it's just what you remember. I remember being sore afterwards. It, it was one thing to have your legs sore, but it was like, man, my shoulders are kind of sore. <laughs> right. Which isn't really something you expect. No. But. You know, when, when, when you watch, when, when people get tired, and you, you can see that high school across the country, you know, people's arms start to, to go all over the place. And unless you can use those to help drive your legs, because your legs, and you get that from hills, your legs follow your arms and hands, you know? And that's a warhurst. And it's, he still preaches that in his old age. Of course. So how did you approach fueling during the marathon, or did you? Because it wasn't very sophisticated, I'm sure. It wasn't sophisticated. The year that, you know, um, I won, there was one official water stop. Um, <laughs> and we had, we had other people, we had friends who would meet you out on the course to give you water, and you'd share it, but um, there was no goo, Gatorade, none of that stuff. Um, we did the normal 
pasta kind of stuff the day before, but you followed the pattern that you had in your training, you know. So if, um, you know, you have pasta, that's what you eat. You eat pasta. Um, but it wasn't anything. I mean, there was nothing special. I mean, there really wasn't. You know, the only thing that Squires had me do with my diet was he had me drink a lot of cranberry juice. <laughs> you no, know, his 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 theory was that, and uh, there's research that says cranberry. There's an enzyme in cranberry juice that helps flush out your kidneys. Interesting uh, toxins. And he said, as you're training hard, you produce toxins. You know, all that waste that you're getting from lactic acid has to get filtered out. So. And I, I swear to God that when I was running, um, the stock at Ocean Spray went up. But I still drink cranberry juice to this day. <laughs> so no, it, but but that was that was the only thing Squires had to say. I've got to drink cranberry juice. You know, okay, <laughs> learn to drink cranberry juice. Right of all things. Yeah, but you know, it's um, we didn't do. Uh, you know, you watched your diet, things like that, but we didn't do. Um, we didn't have that technology in, in nutrition back then that they do now. Well, you certainly seem to have gotten along just fine without it. You know, uh, I, I, I sometimes laugh. I think there's so much out there now that it confuses people more than helps them. Now, I will say that when I, I go out and I run a four-hour marathon with my kids, you know, and we're jogging, I like that goo. I like to be able <laughs> to put some food back in because... My God, I'd never been on my feet for four hours before. <laughs> yeah, I imagine not. Not at, your, uh, not at the level you were at when you were first racing marathons. No. So how did you approach races mentally? If you had anything specific you did. Uh, no, it's pretty, again, pretty basic stuff. You know, you'd look at, you know, you try to be realistic with where you were in your training but if you went into a race, you sort of went in expecting that you were going to win. And if you weren't going to win, that you would at least hope to make somebody suffer if they beat you. So even if you don't have the legs to kick, you're going to at least make them hurdle enough that if they're going to hang with you um, to, to, to make a move at the end, that you were going to make them suffer a bit. But, you know, it's... That was one of the things that I liked about racing often is it, it puts you into a race mentality. It's hard, I think, to just throw a gear, train, 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 then go to a race and think you're going to throw this light switch on and say so you're going to be competitive with some of the best people in the world. I don't think it works like that. Um, I think there's, you know, and even Ronnie and, you know, Warhurst, you got to get race hard. And I don't know how you do that in training without beating up on your training partners, but even then, it's not a race, you know? You can run as hard as you want in a practice and gain a lot of confidence, but there's something about racing that I think builds on itself. Um, you know, it's you can go to a driving range and get great shots, but... When you go to the golf course, can you score? Can you compete? Can you hold your focus when you make a bad shot and all of a sudden you fall behind? You know, how are you going to recover from those situations? And you learn and get confidence 
through racing, I believe. Well, I agree with you totally. Um, I think that I, I, I kind of agree, and I wish that you know the elite runners in the world would race a little more. But I think also it's something that that everyday runners probably maybe don't you know maybe don't do quite enough you know quite enough races. Maybe they don't need to do all you know race all the time. But you know you're right. There's a I think you're right. There's a certain there's a different you know gear and a different attitude that that makes you able to actually race well in in whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I I totally agree with you. You know and. Even I, I see it now going down to the colleges. You know, these college coaches treat their athletes like they're Olympians getting ready, you know, for the trials or the games. And it's like they don't race, they don't race, they don't race. Or if they do race, especially on the track, all they do is run time trials to get ready for nationals. There's no scoring meets that puts the pressure on you that says you have to beat that guy. You know, that's your job. You know, we need the points. Go get it. We don't do that anymore, at least not to any extent like we used to. You know, it's we're going to go to a meet, we're going to run fast and hopefully qualify for nationals. And coaches get bonuses because the kids go to nationals. They're not developing. They're, they're developing time trial artists. That's an interesting way of putting I, I just, it. Yeah, I mean, we get real good at running fast when it's all set up for it, but when it comes time to actually race, you know, can you beat the guy next to you? Yeah, not always so good. Yeah, unfortunately, the answer is not always. That's right. That's you know, I yeah, I I don't know. I I, I think the new guys get tired of hearing us old guys critique <laughs> them about that. But too bad. Yeah, <laughs> you're you're entitled to your opinion. It's a free country. That's right. You know. Until they start running a whole lot better, um, you know, I don't see a whole lot of guys out there better than Bill Rogers, Beardsley, myself, Lindsey. You know, there's some good guys, but you know, I, given the technology, the training opportunities, we should have so many more guys that are out there running well right now, and we just don't. Uh, it's it's interesting to me. Some part of the system is failing. I don't know what it is, but some part of the system is failing. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, could certainly it certainly appears to be so sometimes. So, what do you think is something that the majority of runners, whether they're top level in the world or just everyday people, could maybe add to their training, other than maybe racing a little more? Um. Add to their training. Yeah, I think the longer uh, the longer intervals. Um, I think one of the things that every runner would benefit from, not just for the physiology of it, but for, and I think this is the huge benefit, is the ability to concentrate. Can you keep your focus for my God, you know, um, uh, three hours, four hours when you're running a marathon? That's a bugger, you know. Um, can you can you keep your focus, you know, if you're a high school kid for 17 minutes, if you're a girl, you know, to or 18 minutes or 19 minutes, depending on where you're at. How do you keep that focus throughout the whole race? Because usually 
people break their concentration, somebody gets 20 yards on you, and then you run the same pace the whole way in. And that's only because one person broke their concentration and the other didn't. So, yeah, that's another Ron Warhurst lesson right there. You bet. You know, <laughs> Ronnie used to say, and I hope you don't mind me saying this, but you'd say, any ass can run repeat quarters. Let me see if you're fit by running repeat miles. Sure. And he's right. Yeah, that's an, um, the repeat miles. I've heard, uh, I don't remember who it was, but I read some about some elite runner, current one, saying that that was his favorite workout because y you can't really fake it. There, there's only there's not really any way to to fake your way through repeat miles because there's a it's a long time and it's and it's hard and it's hard to concentrate like that. We used to do repeat two miles when Ronnie was there. I mean Ronnie experimented on me. I was his first guy coming through and I tended not to break. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was it was a treat. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. So what kind of running and racing do you do these days? I don't do any racing anymore. I do, um, I'll, I mean, I'll go to a racing jog, but I probably run maybe three, four times a week, anywhere from three to five miles, you know. I need to build up a little bit more so that I can uh, um, lose a little bit of weight. But other than that, I, you know, it's, I'd say it's purely running for health now, purely running for health. So not one of those competitive till the day you die people. No, you know one of the things I found was um, I would get really frustrated trying to race now. You know, you have a full time job, you're doing all these other things. Um, you don't have the time to race, and I would be frustrated if I kind of did it mediocre. So that makes sense. Yeah. So yeah, and, and I'm I'm happy with it. Well, that's that's kind of the idea, isn't it? Yeah. So this year, um, after at long last, you uh you finally lost your kind of dubious moniker as the uh, the last American male to win Boston. What did that uh, What did it mean to you seeing seeing Meb cross that finish line? Because I watched the race and you were right there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the BAA came and said, get down there, you got to say, you know, and I'm, because there was a part of me that said, you know, don't, don't interrupt his moment, you know, um, but I was so happy, not just for him, because I know what a good person that is, but I think it was really important for American distance running. I think this is, um, it lets people know that if you run smart and stay focused on what you want, um, you can be successful on it on an international basis in a major marathon. And I think for a lot of our athletes, they were afraid of it. They didn't think they could do this, you know, and it's sticking your nose in there and making, you know, it's, it was just exciting, just very, very exciting that um, he did that. It's, and I couldn't have been better for American distance running. Was it frustrating sometimes over the last, especially the last, you know, several years as as American runners have kind of started to come back into the into the forefront? It, it was getting downright embarrassing. Um, I, I felt like, oh my God, they're going to be wheeling me out when I'm 80, you know? And like, there he is. <laughs> you know, like, no, I, I mean, I really thought, you know, a few years ago, Ryan Hall 
was going to do it. Right. Um, you know, and, and I'm talking specifically at Boston. And I thought Ryan Hall or Ritz, you know, might take a shot at um, at Chicago. You know, um, but um, you know, it, 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 nobody would have picked Meb last time. It's just his age and the pattern. But certain races develop in a certain way, and you need to. And it, it, it's one of the things I learned under Squires is you always have to have yourself in a position to win. Meb put himself in position to win. He had the confidence to do what he was capable of doing, you know? And mm-hmm. he executed perfectly. So, yeah, and that, I mean, if kids learn anything out of that is you got to give yourself a chance to win and not adapt to purely the competition, but one way you can run, you know? Um, I don't know. I, I was really, couldn't have been happier. You know, it's, it was perfect. Absolutely perfect. And it couldn't come from a better, happened for, to a better guy. Just a good person. Yeah, it's, it was certainly really cool. It was a it was a really cool moment. I uh, I'm on the West Coast, so I so I you know woke up at five o'clock just to catch the last part of the race, and I caught about the last kilometer, and it was you know you you turn it on and you don't and you don't know what's what's happened, and it's it's almost you almost don't believe it at first. Like really, it, it Meb's gonna win? <laughs> and there's nobody there's nobody you know close to him who's gonna you know pass him in the last part. But no, they it was it was really cool. Within a, they closed up within almost ten seconds with like three quarters of a mile to go, and when they went under the Mass Ave Bridge, Neb put a little surge. It looked like in. He really worked hard going up that hill. Right. And I, think I remember that. That's when. The, that's when. The, you know, I don't even know who got second, but he, I think he realized, okay, I'm running for second here. That's <laughs> I don't have enough time. <laughs> Now he doesn't have enough time. They just, you know, they didn't run. They didn't take him seriously. That I would, I would definitely agree with you on that. As you said, a combination of the age and, you know, previous performances. I would, I would, I would say no. I mean, you look at it and you go, you know, his best was mid two nines. Right, two nine, twenty something. Yeah. So they go in and they go, we're four or five minutes faster than him. You know, we can let him go. Well, he'll come back to us. <laughs> right. That it. That didn't work. No. <laughs> Doesn't it? Yeah. If he, uh, if he, if he's not going too fast, then, then he's then yeah, probably not. Yeah. Meb has been our best racer. When you look at him, when he goes into a, a major event, he runs to his ability. Rarely do you see him tank. You know, and right. That, yeah, I mean, there's no deviation of. I mean, he he just runs to his ability, and that's man. yeah. He'll run two nine or he'll run two nine or two ten, and even if if the race goes two goes two four, you know, but you almost never see him running, you know, two fifteen or two twenty. Oh, he never no, he never no. cracks really bad like that. No, no. So this is this kind of moves on, uh, you know, segues well into my next topic. Um, 
there's a lot of people who take part in races and, and run and are and we consider themselves you know real runners how do you think we can turn more of those people into fans of running because i bet half the boston field maybe boston's a little different but i bet you half of any major marathon field has no idea who say greg meyer is or even who meb kofleski is um i think i think you might be wrong on meb since he won well that's true that, meb maybe yeah, know, might have been a bad example yeah i think what what's happened is it's been dominated by Americans are, they're homers. You know, they want to cheer for the home team. And when nobody's winning and doing those things, they lose interest. Uh, I, I think if the Americans were racing more and becoming more of a household name, like Bill Rogers did in, in his day, and, you know, uh, Beardsley and myself and Lindsay, I think people would recognize the names more because they're out there. But the Americans don't even show up at the, the smaller races. I mean, it, it's hard to even get them to come to the U.S. championships on the roads. So I think if they ran more, people would be aware of it more. The other thing I, I, I believe, and this goes all the way back to the, the high school, I think we got to get back to having competition. It's got to be us against them. You know, uh, it's, you know, we used to have, some really good battles with Greater Boston Track Club, Colorado Track Club, Oregon Track Club, Atlanta Track Club. I mean, you'd go to war. Um, There's bragging rights, but people knew. In the colleges, we got to get back to dual meets, you know? Michigan, Michigan State, um, Oregon, Stanford, if that's what it, you know? Head-to-head stuff, but more than just one meet. You know, there's got to be a couple, you, you know? You, people got to go there and see that it, it's meaningful. Nobody wants to go watch time trials. They don't care. People want to see competition. Can you beat the other guy? You know? To me, that's that's what's missing. Yeah, another thing I think about the uh, about Americans in general, Americans want to, you know, want to root for winners. And if, you know, you're setting an American record, but you're getting seventh, well, Okay, you're, but you're getting but you're getting seventh place. Yeah, that's that's yeah. so at least the the sports fans of 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 Americans. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how do you explain that in the, in, in the Sunday paper, you know, and go, oh, um, yeah, well, yeah, geez, I ran great, I got the American record, but you got eighth. You know, nobody. <laughs> it's like nobody even got a picture of you because they had gone away already. You know, I I think we need to to step up. And again, I hope Meb's performance proves to some of these Americans that yes, they can compete, you know, and that they're not afraid to step out, and that you know they they do go and start to support their U.S. championships. I mean, we don't—it's hard to get a big name at a U.S. road racing championship because the money's not deep enough, you know. Um, yeah, it depends on the race, but it is—it is, it is kind of hard. Yeah, it is. Um, so I don't know. I, I, if I had all the answers, somebody would hire me away. You know. <laughs> right. So. Well, if we had all the answers, we might not have a problem. But anyway. So you mentioned that. One, um, just I just have a couple more things because I know you got, as you said, you got a busy day ahead of you. So you you're mentioning that you uh, coach some high school kids. Um, 
So what kind of advice do you give to, to them or anybody else when they're kind of getting ready for their first race? Well, the first thing I do is, uh, and, and this is all basic stuff, you, you see it everywhere, have a plan. Know why you're doing it. You know, why are you running this? Why, you know, what do you want to get out of this? And then how important is it to you? Um, Charlie Spedding wrote a great little book uh, from last to first, and he talks about that. Why do you want it? You know, how much do you want it? You know, what are you willing to give up for? So know what you want to accomplish, and then have a plan to get there. And gain confidence through the plan, you know. I tell the high school kids, being successful is about two things, being fit and strong and being confident in that fitness and strength. If you're confident and happy with your running, you're going to run well. If you go in there with all kinds of doubts, second-guessing yourself, you're not going to be successful. That's true at every level. Um, if you go in with doubts, there's a good chance you're going to get beat and you're not going to perform well. So that's about it. Sounds like pretty sound advice for, as you said, for yeah. any level. Um, my last thing I want to ask you is just uh, these quick five questions. Um, what was your pre-race meal? It got in college. It was pizza. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know, it's. It, but yeah, I mean, if it was a longer race, you know, a marathon, obviously, it's pasta. If it was a 10k, whatever, I didn't care. Okay. No, the yeah, uh, the pizza one makes sense. Um, I interviewed uh, John Sinclair a few months ago now, and he was saying that, yeah, every uh, his standard thing the night before a race was uh, was Domino's pizza, simply because he could get it, he could get the same thing Everywhere. wherever he was. You know what? That makes real sense. And and and, and I tell people when they they go to a race, if there's a chain around that you could you know, lock into the same kind of pizza because they all have the same recipe, you know, Olive Garden. You're going right. to do the same thing. If that works, then find your Olive Garden and that's what you do, you know? Right. What was your favorite workout to do when you were competing? Hills. Hills? Yeah. Um, and this probably isn't nice, but I, I mean, I could literally gain confidence by beating the crap out of my teammates and friends on hills. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we we used to pound back in Boston the Pump House Hill. Um, here in town, Brian Deemer and I, we used to do hills together um, when we both moved back to town. Um, I love hills. If I got into a rhythm on hills, I'd be fine. Everything else would fall into place. Nice. And hills was one of those workouts where I could do a great hill workout all alone, where I couldn't always do a great interval workout all alone. Yeah, I can get kind of lonely on the track like that. Yeah. What was your favorite race event to run? We probably already know this, but... Favorite race event? You mean just one race? Like, one uh, like a Boston Marathon or a Grand Rapids 25K or you whatever what? it was. It would be... A mix between the two of those. Okay. Boston, because I, I lived in both places. You were running on your home course. So between the Fifth Third Riverbank Run and Boston, those were my two bad, uh, favorites because it was home. 
And what would you do for fun when you were competing, if anything? Golf. Golf? Um, later on, play with kids, yeah. Always loved golf. Um, younger, I'd, you know, fishing. Like, you know, I'd go fly fishing. I'd just, you know, just normal stuff. <laughs> and what race yeah, would... We'd sorry. play basketball. We used to play basketball. Yeah, <laughs> yeah not really a... Just, just not stuff. Most, no. no, not what most, not what most would do. That's all right. No, but a lot of the guys in the old days came up playing other sports. They didn't specialize so early, you know. Right, absolutely. And finally, what race would you have loved to run but never got a chance to? Hmm. And if you have a list, that's fine too. Um, I would have liked to have run London one time. I, I, you know, um, they do a great job at the London Marathon, and that would have been uh, interesting. Um, you know, other races, you know, you get locked into certain races because if you win, you're always invited back, so it eliminates you from looking at other things. But, you know, I... Um, I would have liked to have won New York um, and never got it. I only ran New York once seriously. And that was coming off of injuries. Um, I would have liked to run New York really fit sometime, and I never had the chance to do that. But other than that, you know, I, London probably would have been the race I would have liked to have gone to. And then um, internationally, um, there was a race in Italy, I believe it was called Cinque which like ran through buildings. And all right, that classic cross-country race. I, yeah, I always wanted to go to that and never did. That and I'm sure the Olympics. Um, you know, the Olympics, obviously, because of what it means. But, yeah, uh, you know, the Olympics were, you know, when I look back, it's, yeah, that sort of a hole, but... Um, uh, you know, I, I, I don't lose sleep over it anymore at all. You know, I lose sleep over more of the races that I ran and lost because I did something silly, not for something that just didn't happen because it didn't happen, you know? Well, that's a good attitude to have, I'd say. Well, it's the only one I can have. <laughs> right. <laughs> what else do you do? <laughs> yeah, you can't, I can't do anything about it now. I'm too old. <laughs> right. Well, Greg, thank you very much for your time. Um, no I think this was a great this was a great talk. I think a lot of uh, a lot of good lessons come out of this one. Um, again, thanks for your time, and have a great rest of the day. Not a problem. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Bye bye. This has been a Runners Connect podcast. We'd love it if you could leave a short review on our iTunes page to let us know what you think of our podcasts and how we can make them better for you. Also, if you have a question about this episode or any other, please don't hesitate to ask. You can leave a comment on the webpage or leave us a voicemail at 617-356-7969. We'll do our best to answer as many of these questions as we can, either in a future episode or in one of our monthly Q&A sessions. I'm your host, Lucas Felden, and thanks for listening.